Hello and welcome to this week's BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with Lewis Mallet, founder and CEO of Bentley Lewis, an award-winning global boutique executive search firm. Lewis is one of the leading global minds on what's next in the workplace, how hiring and attracting talent is evolving, and what people are really looking for from work. In this chat, we get to know more about what makes him tick and how he came to be doing what he does today. We probably should start with first proper job and work up from there. First proper job was um, newspaper boy. Of course. 12 years old. Uh, was living. 12? Yeah. Local, the local... Uh, the Where local, did you grow up? Uh, Radlett, which is near Watford. I know Radlett, yeah. 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 And I used to do like... Saturday, Sunday. I used to get double on Sunday. I was like, two, it was like three quid or four quid or nice. something. Um, so I was delivering papers. It was great. The bags were super heavy. So I did that. And then um, my cousin's a ladies' wear designer. And uh, every summer I used just to help like fold plastic bags and fold jumpers and yeah. work in his warehouse and stuff. And then uh, he, so I saw him build his business. And that gave me a kind of, I want to build my own business. And then went from there. So you say you went from there. How did you well, get from there <laughs> to recruiting? To recruiting. So I went to, I did my A-levels. I did chemistry at Birmingham Uni. Oh, God. Then <laughs> I mean, realised after four years of chemistry, I did not want to be a chemist. Oh, did you actually work as a chemist? No, no, no. no. Well, the last year was modelling liquid crystals in the lab with my headphones in and no one talking to me. <laughs> so I was like, mm, um, That's a hard no, not for me. This not for career. me. I then, after uni, set up a fashion distribution company. Yeah, using your experience with your cousin. Fashion and stuff, yeah. Yeah. And then I sold British men's streetwear in Italy. Jeans and t-shirts. Cool. In Milan. It was great. Do they sell like hotcakes? Because Italians are great for tailoring. Yeah. You know, like the streetwear. Streetwear, like British streetwear. It was great. So a different cousin of mine lived in Milan. And then we just, yeah, sold t-shirts and jeans. That's really cool. So can you speak Italian really well? Nothing. Oh, that's why my Italian cousin did that and I was in the UK <laughs> signing up the brands we had a few brands and we were a distributor it was great cool yeah, yeah I wanted to have like a little distribution company like a stable of brands yeah and stuff and so I was doing that I sold um, ladies accessories here at the same time to UK shops and I was just trying to do my own thing it was great fun and then I met a factory owner in Turkey and he had factories making clothes. I can't work out where this is going. Can you? Oh, no, this is the whole thing. We need to listen <laughs> yeah. to the story. Right, the story. <laughs> and, uh, and I really was interested in like how clothes are made and you kind of like understand the whole journey. So anyway, so I, he wanted to set head of sales in the UK. And so I, I said, yes, I decided to. I was like 23, 24 and we used to make clothes for Ted Baker and Debenhams, Jasper Conran, John Rocha, Arcadia Group, you know, all of that. It was really interesting. And yeah, I was going back and forward to Turkey every couple of weeks and we used to make t-shirts and jumpers and jeans and shirts and it was great fun. And then um, a couple of years of that, there was a lesson in here somewhere. Don't listen to your parents, become a lawyer. Um, <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> uh, I then wanted to see my distribution company properly. Um, and at the same time, my friend was a recruiter and he was like, mate, you've got you've to check this out. It's really interesting. And so anyway, we talked about it and went to see a few firms. And the sales process was interesting because I was selling T-shirts and suddenly you've got people on yeah. either sides, different yeah. wants, needs, desires and stuff. 
And I joined a firm in the city and then that was it. Stayed for five years and then sat up on my own. Oh, so you joined a recruitment firm? Joined another recruiting firm, yeah. Did they have a bit of a fit when you were like, thanks for the five years, I'm going to set up Bentley Lewis? uh, Yeah, but it happens a lot in in recruitment industry. Because the barrier to, like the financial barrier to entry is super low. Yeah. You just literally can do it on the home at home with a phone and a laptop. You just need a bit of capital to live while you're sitting. You just need out. to cover your mortgage. Yeah. yeah, I'd saved up enough to cover my mortgage and some expenses. You need to be able to call someone up and say, "Hey, it's Lewis," and they need to say, "Hey," rather than "Who?" Yeah, yeah. that's the like that's the <laughs> which key. Lewis? Which one? Hold on. And then once you start, you find out are they working with me just because I'm at this firm or? Yeah. Do they actually like me and, and stuff like that? Are your parents both entrepreneurs as well, or are they chemists? <laughs> no, my mum's a teacher and my dad is a risk manager. Okay, okay. So he should have been saying, God, the risk of you starting your own business is oh, it will fail. He still, do he still it. tells me that now. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, well done. Um, but you know, like 90% of businesses fail after year one. I'm like, okay, yeah, thanks. Dad, I've been in business um, 13 years year now. Two. Yeah. You know, 90% fail in year two. Oh, okay, great, thanks. Yeah, you need to become a lawyer because then your father's like, oh, my daughter's a partner oh, in a law firm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you have no freaking idea, man. <laughs> well, my parents were, like, to be honest, to be fair to them, most good Jewish parents like mine do push you into a career, but they were like, oh, let me do my thing. Biggest fuck up, biggest failure. Well, if you've ever done recruiting, you make fifth, well, 100 calls a day, 100 emails a day, nine, 99 out of 100 don't turn up or don't respond. You arrange interviews, people don't turn up. They get an offer they don't accept. That, I mean, literally, like we're doing recruiting every day is failure, 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 failure. But that's, failure, not, a, that's failure, not a kind failure. of, del- or not deliberate, but that's not a fuck up. That's just people don't always respond to a cold call email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like failure every day. So, so how do you keep on top of that? Hardcore exercise. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I do like six days a week of exercise. What sort of exercise? Um, so now I do CrossFit. Okay, yeah. If you know yeah. CrossFit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing marathons before, a few mar- three, four marathons, then got into CrossFit. And, and so do you discover those magical endorphins that everybody always talks about? Doing exercise is the most incredible thing because like it's probably the hardest thing you do all day. Trying to lift up that way. You, by the way. Oh, really? Yes, mate. Because, you know, like people talk about like difficult work's difficult, business is difficult, it's challenging failures, fuck ups, whatever. But when you're lifting weights in the gym and you're just thinking about getting that li- lifting that weight back up or they're working harder than you, whatever, you'll be able to cope with anything that comes up that day. And my mood now... I'm finding this hard to buy. Oh, no, literally, it's like... Pippa is the most averse person to exercise I've ever met, (laughs) other than my mother, maybe. (laughs) My my mood now, I mean, maybe this is my personality, but I I never get up or down. It can be like a big fuck up or a failure or someone doesn't take a job or they don't respond or they're rude or whatever. Or we finally nail the big CEO search we've been working on for... I mean, it's just, you know, my mood is always level and I think a lot of that is is treating yourself well yeah eat sleep exercise like you're a pro athlete yeah that. it's just I had a friend who was an uh, or I do have a friend who's an exercise coach and she would always say you know it's really great when you get in the zone you get the endorphins and you feel great and you clear your mind and all that kind of thing but you know and I try to I haven't done it recently but I try to I was up until a month or so ago doing about an hour of exercise a day on the exercise bike only way I could do it 
is to do it at Box home. Box of chocolates in one hand. <laughs> <laughs> do it at home while watching something engrossing on television so I don't have to think about it. Like, so X-Files mostly at the moment. If you go into a group exercise class, mm. you, you just you just don't think about anything else. Or like, if you like... Like, like spin or something. Yeah, or spin or CrossFit or, or hit class. And then running, I've always, I've done like for a long time. And then when you get into your zone of running, it's very meditative. It's the thoughts come in and out. Your head, it's just, it's really, really good. Um, and it makes me cope with anything. Like, you know, my, my, my perspective on things that come up in work now is, you know, it's just a thing that happens now and you deal with it. And Lewis, are you a morning exercise person or an evening exercise person? So um, I do both. Because you're supposed to do morning, time, aren't you? Really, if you have the chance. If I have the pre- if I have my preference, I'll do like a uh, the six thirty a.m. thing. Um, but I've got three kids now, and I take them to school because our third one's eleven months now. But anyway, okay. so I take the older two to school, and I fit it in whenever I can. So it could be in the evening, could be morning. But you make time for it. Hell yeah! yeah. One hour in twenty four hours isn't much. So Lewis, tell us, how does your business make money? So we get paid a percentage or fixed fee of the salary of the person that we place. So we get a retainer up front, we get a little bit more after we've submitted a shortlist, and then we get the remainder when the person starts. And do you? is there ever any sort of hold over any of it, like you have to give some of it back if they so don't? So there's a rebate period at the end, which will vary depending on how good the client is in negotiating. Um, but no, no, so there's a, there'll be a rebate period, yeah. The early, early parts, no, because it covers the cost of our research yeah, and yeah. time and stuff. And then there's like a shared risk of someone leaving or whatever. But hey, if it's a CEO and you've gone through six or nine months, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. But you, you never know when we take some of that risk on. And do you ever have that thing? I mean, do they ever try and get away with the whole, oh, you suggested this person, but actually we've been talking to them before and... Not, not, not the stuff that we do. No, with with recruiting, there's like there's like three or four different models. So you've got the kind of mid to lower level. You have contingent recruiting, so no placement, no fee. Yeah, so you're you're in competition with other recruiters, their internal talent acquisition team, their advertising. So let's say you guys are hiring for a paralegal, and you might call a few agencies. You might advertise on LinkedIn, whatever. And so the firm the recruiter will only get paid if their candidate gets the job. Um, and you, then you might have scenarios like the one you described. It's a horrible model. The average recruiter working in a contingent firm places at 18% of the jobs they work on. Oh man, that's depressing. 18%. So the whole, the whole thing is sales, right? Yeah. yeah. Like if you don't sell your candidate in, you don't get paid. And that's where you get all of this kind of recruiters are salesy and... And also, you know, it sort of doesn't matter how much they sell the candidate because you meet the candidate, they turn out to be duff, you don't hire them. Well, they could turn out to be great and you hire them, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, but you know, it's very they, contingent on the personality of the person. It's very contingent, but also it's, um, you know, it's a tough thing if you're doing that kind of part of the market because, like, for a client, it's a whole, so horrible model because all the recruiters know they're not going to get paid and they just, they'll just send anyone. Mm. They haven't got the time. They haven't got the time to. Yeah, and you describe... 
because I've experienced this a lot, you describe what you're looking for to a recruiter and then they send send you completely random stuff that has no bearing <laughs> on what you've said. They'll basically, for. well, you've incentivized them to do that. Like that's the yeah. that's the, the, yeah. the game that, that, in, that industry that perpetuates that kind of model. You so. said come in for a briefing. So you come in and there's five other recruiters around the table and they're like, right, I need to run back to my office. Who do I know? And just send out 10. Yeah, Hopefully you're going to like one, one of them. them. Would be okay. Hopefully you yeah. like one of them. Move on to the next. So that's one part, and then we do ex- retain search. So, so the only sales bit in inverted commas is yes, I'd like to work with you, Lewis, yeah. and we've agreed the fee, and then everything else is just finding the right person for the right job. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What do you think is most misunderstood about your business? A lot of people think recruiting is easy. Yes, that is That's probably true. A lot of things. I could easier. definitely do it, man. Like, and you know, oh, I, don't, I couldn't do it. It's, and then you get this thing of like, they want the roles. Where are my candidates? Why isn't it done quicker? You know, like they think it's easy. They think everyone wants to work for them. And I think when people realize that the game changes a bit, I mean, right now there's way more jobs than there are people, candidates, yeah. people. Do you, do you think that will continue for a while? I mean, particularly at the kind of what I would say the top end of the market. Um, it's hard to know, but I think one thing we've never been very good at as society is retraining people to do jobs that are like emerging jobs. Um, and there's a load of vacant jobs and loads of people out of work and we're not training them to do these. To do these. So I, I think that will continue. But senior leaders, are hard, good ones are hard to come by. They're all employed, probably quite happy. And it's, it's, it's yeah, you need to be, have the right story. Is it mostly men or is it getting more diverse? What is? Most senior, senior, senior placements. Uh, it depends on the industry and also the discipline. Like, you know, men and women like different things. And you typically find, say, in HR marketing. A woman in HR. Loads, you know, or you know, there's just a whole lot that that conversation is is pretty complex, I think. You know, like people have different preferences, life desires, interests and stuff. But you know, the the conversation around diversity, inclusion and stuff is one that's certainly in this country that's been going on for a long time. And and yeah, like everyone wants a diverse shortlist. Yeah. And things like that. And so, so what we do is we go through, like, you know, we speak to two, three hundred people um, and we go through all of them with the client. And they can get a sense of, like, you know, how diverse is the talent pool that we're looking yeah. at for this particular role. And it might be there's, like, just loads and loads and loads and loads of women, no men, or the other way around. And so, so it's, it's, you know, it's nuanced, I think. What do you think is hardest about what you do? Well, the, the hardest thing recently for me has been, has been leading a global 
remote team. You know, like recruiting we've talked about, right? recruiting is tough. How much of the day job do you actually do, you personally? So the actual recruiting. Yeah. Uh, so the searches in Europe, I do with my co- with uh, always with another colleague. So there's always two of us on each search. Um, the US ones my team do. Uh, I do a lot of business development. Mm-hmm. I deliver with my colleagues the European searches, some of them. And then I spend quite a bit of time, more and more as you get more people, doing feedback, training, one on ones, managing. Yeah. So if I look at my diary, the, the last like two, three years, well, let's say two, way, way more catch ups in the diary than there were before. It's also got a lot more global. So loads more videos and stuff. It used to be breakfast, lunch, dinner in London all the time. And then it's gradually changed and evolved and stuff. So you you would go to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That would be your pre-COVID, yeah. when more of our stuff. Any was... wonder you had to start exercising. <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking about how does that work with the regime? Oh, literally. Yeah, I mean, regime. I was just saying before. Like, I've, I mean, I had like I happened to have quite a few meetings this morning. I was like four or five coffees down before lunchtime. <laughs> I was like shaking and like you know you, you glaze over a bit because you've had like way too much caffeine. Yeah. But but pre-COVID, it was like just constant. Yeah, lunch, breakfast, dinner, a networking event, and then with the searches pre-COVID. I would meet, go meet the candidates. So if we're doing a search in Dublin, I'd fly over a few days, do the interviews. Now everyone's like, save the carbon. Like, just do it on video. So I'm doing less of, of that. So it's just, yeah, it's changed. It's changed. But le- leading a global team has the, been the, like the most challenging thing to adapt and not having an office to go hang my hand. What, what have you done yourself to better equip yourself to do that, to manage the team? Um, so the the exec coach has been great, you know. Like they say, everyone should have a psychiatrist in their life, you know, because we're all trying to be a bit better than we were yesterday. But just accepting that you can always improve. And um, I hadn't done it before, and I wanted to try and get better at it. And I wanted to do my three hundred and sixty, and and you know, like seek external help. I kind of say like, you know, your your career is a business, and you're the CEO, and it's good to build like a personal board of directors, you know, people that aren't just agreeing with you, but will challenge you, that have different expertise and experience and different stuff. And um, and you're working on yourself, you know, like you're working on your business rather than in your business. Because you can get like so into it, recruiting and searches and stuff. It's nice just to step back and take a breath and see what's going on. And Lewis, what's the biggest problem facing your business at the moment? The biggest problem, good recruiters. So the, the biggest thing for any business is, is capital and people. You know, every business is made up of people. It's hard to recruit. And it's just as hard to recruit for a recruiter. For recruiters, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like finding really good, nice, kind, good recruiters that want to work remote and you know, all of the things that fit into our culture and stuff, that's always challenging. Are there lots of people who are kind of doing that kind of mid-level stuff that you spoke about, which is kind of pretty heartless and kind of, you know, almost factory-like? Are they kind of, do you get lots of applications from people like that who are trying to kind of move up into the kind of better space, if you like? Yeah, like people want to get, you want to get paid for your time. Yeah. Definitely. And there's loads of people, like early on when you're younger, most go into a contingent firm because their models are higher loads of young people. Like it's a tough game. When I started... I mean, there were firms, which I will not mention. If you didn't make 100 calls a day, no chair the next day. Oh, God. One firm, yeah, one firm, One friend got their, their, their phone sellotaped to their head because they weren't making enough calls. 
Oh my God. <laughs> and then a, a friend of mine, he he was, you know, we used to work with him, my old firm. He moved to another firm, which I will not mention. And he was on a floor of like 200 people. And there was a table like this, like five, five, six seats round. And they had the little headsets on, you know, like the little microphone. Yeah, yeah. little call center ones. <laughs> so he'd gone to the toilet and his his manager on the desk took his headset, put mayonnaise in the earpiece. Everyone knew 200 people. He came back, put his headset off, and, you know, everyone was laughing and you know the whole thing that was like classic old school aggressive yeah yeah just you know not not many people last and what are you most excited about for your business i've i've i love the the global aspect to it like it's been fantastic and it's it's accelerated since 2019 so was covid the like kickstarter for COVID was, well, I say COVID was great because it wasn't for many people. So, but it was, you know, early on, it was, everything stopped. Like everything, you know, like March, 2020. You remember. You know, just for those that are listening in the future. The clients called me and all they the were like- All the fundraisers that did not happen. Fundraising, all the stuff you were working on. It was all, it was all paused. And then that feeling in your stomach of like, oh fuck, you know, what how much money do, do we yeah. have? Because money runs out really quick when you're paying salaries mm, yeah. and mm. rent, and so it's a really good moment to like just reassess everything. And then uh, everything starts again in May, and then since August, it's been like the busiest time ever in recruiting. But I also think that COVID was a real, like you know, I I left my last job halfway through, three quarters of the way through COVID, and I think it was a real point at which people sat back and looked at what they were doing and looked at their lives and went, do I actually want to be doing this job? Do I, you know, what do I want the rest of my life to look at? So you presumably got a load of people actually going, actually, no, I want to change. Well, you had this great resignation, they called it, or the great reset, then the great rehire. This is why a lot of people resigned from jobs. You know, like over COVID, a lot of companies treated their staff really badly. Like they just cut them. Some people needed to. Some some firms cut too early and too deep, and then five six months later, we're trying to rehire, and people remember how you treated them, and they've really struggled. And the Great Resignation was mostly from bad companies with bad cultures. I think yeah. if you're in if you were if you're in a firm where you got treated well and people looked after you, you weren't looking for another job. And what and what's the best piece of advice anyone's ever given you? Fuck what they say. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Who gave you that piece of with advice? That, with that, with with the with the finger for the uh, for those listeners yeah, who have no. Mostly uh, people say their dad, and I'm I'm going out on a limb, but I think it probably wasn't your no, dad. But you know, every every influence is great. Uh, you know, you have all these naysayers. Do you know the 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 biggest thing about when I was setting up my business is you speak to people in the UK, and here it's a little bit embarrassing to fail, and it stops a lot of people from actually like doing, doing something. Stuff, yeah. I've got some American family, and they were like, "Fuck it, what's the worst that can happen?" I could lose all my money and I lose my house. And yeah. Then you just get, get a, a job. job. Just get a job. <laughs> I know. You know, like it stops so many people. And so, yeah, that's my advice. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I didn't move jobs for years because I was like, what if I move jobs and none of my clients come with me? And I've, you know, and I've moved jobs and I've got no security tenure and like it all goes horribly wrong. Yeah, but once you get off the, that like heroin of like employment and the regular salary and it's so liberating. Oh God! It's yeah. arguably less risky doing your own business. Yeah, because suddenly it's you know your so when COVID in happens, yeah, you're in complete control. Yeah, like yeah. things happen. It's down to me. 
But also you can't hide behind anybody else. There's no hiding. You've got to be There's out there. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but it's not for everyone. Yeah, that's It's not for true. everyone. I mean, I really thought carefully before starting, but it was just driving. I just had to. So um, other than factfulness, what are some of your other top three reads, so, pods? Well, or... I love Joe Rogan. Do you? Oh, Andy's really going to miss this. <laughs> Andy not, loves a bit of Joe Rogan. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, wonderful mm. for many reasons. And... Yeah, I really got into him when Brexit happened. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm actually really out of touch. With what's going on, Completely. Yeah. And like almost everyone I knew was voting Remain. And you can end up in your echo chamber, Completely. I guess. And then, and then I started listening to podcasts, started to do my own one. And then the, the wonderful thing with his podcast is he has such a range of people with different perspectives and views and stuff and controversial people and some mainstream and, yeah. you know, and it's... And, and so I've just really enjoyed... Um, listening to people with different perspectives. So I, I listen to his a lot. I listen to Jordan Peterson's podcast. Oh, my word alive. Who's also really interesting. That's <laughs> one um, word for him. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you ever watch or listen to his stuff? Not really, only there we go. to the extent that I sit on Twitter and go, oh, my God. Um, and then I listen to my own once after I've recorded it. Do you find it excruciating? Yeah, it's harder to listen to yourself. It's bad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Any any other books you can recommend apart from so, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker? I've got that incredible, myself. incredible. Um, I mean, I actually listen. I actually listen to them. I use Audible. Oh, okay. The other one, Why Sapiens and Homo Deus by Yoharari. Yeah, they're great. And one I listened to recently, which is quite nice for business, is called Extreme Ownership. There's an American guy called Jacko Jacko Willink. He's this ex army guy and. I mean, the premise is like taking ownership, you know, make a mistake, et cetera, et cetera. Like take ownership. Way, way too many people hide behind, make excuses and things like that. And I really like that. So that was this week's episode of BWB Extra. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. Until then, it's goodbye. Goodbye.